Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. All right, this morning we're in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm going to read from verse 12. I've entitled this Life in the Body, The Only Life There Is. I think we've reached a crucial juncture in our, in our study of Corinthians, and we've come to a key positive point. And the danger is that we have heard it before, and it all now, here's some religious stuff, and we can just kind of dismiss it. But Paul is describing salvation, and I believe he's describing an immediate experience of salvation that we can have in the body of Christ functioning harmoniously. And I think we need to pause and take this in that this is the point of Christianity. Salvation, the the little piece of heaven on earth that we have that is available to us, I think is found in a group of people that love one another, that can appreciate the gifts of one another can appreciate the personalities, the strengths that each bring, and the way that these contribute to the group. And with each of the organs of the body, and of course when he says members of the body, he's really thinking uh, different parts, different organs of the body working together. And if we understand that the entire movement of salvation and sin. I'm going to, to explain both things. I think I, this is the ruling metaphor, I believe, of the New Testament. So it's a, a metaphor here of unity of the body, but of course being in Christ, being in the body of Christ, is the, the thing that is most often describing what it is that is unique about Christianity. Being a part of the body of Christ explains the immediate way that we experience salvation and I believe to fail to experience this describes human suffering. It describes a lot of what we would even call uh, damnation, but I'll come to that here in a minute. Let's read from verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts... But all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Notice there's things here that we need to talk about. Now, what does it mean to be baptized in the Spirit? We'll, we'll come to that. But the main point is that salvation is a body united. And then he's going to describe in the next verses what sin is. It's resistant. It is the to this core idea. It is the alienating power in which the body is depicted as turning against itself. And so as we can understand, salvation is a harmonious body, suffering, sin, what is damnable in human existence, I believe is also this incapacity 
for living life together. Let me continue reading then. He's going to describe the negative in ver from verse 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And so the picture here, the unseemly member, you know, he's talked about the weak members. He's using a very common metaphor. We find it, it's in a, a metaphor in Plato and Plutarch. But Paul is taking their metaphor and reversing the imagery. What they want to say is, well, you slaves, you're a necessary part of the body. Now you just keep being slaves. Of course, the idea is that you endure mistreatment. But Paul is using the metaphor to say, well, no, actually, those who are weaker, those who are deemed less, they need to be taken greater care of and given greater consideration. To not do that, it's an affront to Christ if a weak or vulnerable Christian is made to feel second class or is alienated, maybe because he or she doesn't have one of the right gifts. He's describing this, that this is a betrayal of the body of Christ. If such a person reaches the point of saying, oh, I do not belong to the body. This tearing apart of the body, this casting out or making unwelcome, I believe is the ultimate sin against the body of Christ. In medical terms, this is cancer, right? When your body turns on itself when you your body does that you may still be alive but it's a kind of living death and in the corporate body you know if it should happen what Paul is describing the foot should refuse to be part of the body because it's not not a hand the thing he's describing is a body in rebellion against itself and it's not even a metaphor in chapter 7 when he's describing individual experience of the mind being over and against the flesh or the, the uh, body and the two are pitted against one another. This violent turn is a taking up of death. 
So I think he's describing a damnable existence in a situation in which the body cannot harmoniously function. That we would describe this, you know, in Ephesians, the darkened mind given over to the lusts of deceit, that in some way humans violently turn on one another, is James' picture. And so sin is always violent, it's always interwoven with death, because there's always this turning on the other, or turning even against the self. It's always a sin against the body, but now even our body is part of the body of Christ. It's a turning from life together in Christ, and I believe that's the only kind of life there is. That's my point here. There is life together or there is not life at all. And Paul reverses the imagery here of the city working. This was the favorite metaphor of the classics. That the governing classes, oh, they need to be provided for. They need, you know, the servant classes need to give them food. And Paul's point is he transposes that in that the body would have consideration and care. I mean, this is his point throughout Corinthians. All Christian believers constitute a single body. And to suggest otherwise is to tear the very limbs of Christ apart. It's an obvious picture here that we need to carry over. That pain or disability, you know, if you get a toothache, it's a very small part of your body, and yet the whole body suffers together. If you get a thorn in your foot, the whole body suffers. And so too, the body of Christ should suffer together. Paul says, we're all baptized into this. We're actually baptized into the Holy Spirit. And this is a picture for everybody. This isn't a special gift. This is the unfortunate thing that you get in uh, Pentecostalism. Oh, that only some receive the baptism in the Spirit. No, Paul, that, that is to completely undo Paul's point that all are baptized into the Spirit. All are given to drink of one Spirit. All Christians are initiated into being in Christ. And so we're united, we're reconciled, we're working in other imagery that Paul uses. We're working under the head who is Christ. Now, if we extend the metaphor to both salvation and suffering or damnation, I believe we can, in, in a way, capture what Christianity is about. What is sin? Sin is discord. Sin is disharmony, sickness. It's a spiritual cancer. It's attacking what is supposed to be united and undoing that. So once you say that, what is salvation? Salvation is from what causes discord and alienation. Now, if you believe what I just said, I've just undone most systems of salvation as we have them. Salvation is not from God punishing people, right? Salvation is from sin. Salvation is not from God's anger or God's wrath. God doesn't save us from himself. God saves us from this discord, this sin of discord, disharmony. So salvation is not from the result of sin. Salvation is, if we imagine it dealing only in results. Think of a doctor, if you went to a medical doctor and he only treated your symptoms, probably he should have his license taken away, right? 
Because you don't want him to just treat your symptoms. You want him to treat the disease itself. And so too, God does not simply treat the symptoms of sin, God's anger, suffering, you know, we could go through the various things that are pictured. God treats the problem. Sin, death, evil are defeated in Christ. The great physician does not simply address our symptoms, but he gets at the root problem. God destroys sin, maybe like a good radiation treatment destroys cancer. And the point is not to make the patient suffer, right? Suffering may result from chemotherapy, but one does not pay for their cancer through suffering. Neither the doctor nor the patient is benefited by suffering. Let me state it very strongly, and I'm quoting Paul here in his depiction. All suffering is a futility. In and of itself, suffering is futile. It's worthless. It's of no benefit. Which is not to say that some, you know, Paul says this himself. You can take suffering and benefit as a result, maybe, but it's not the suffering. It brings no benefit to God. God doesn't desire suffering. God does not cause suffering. Punishment of sin and atonement or bringing back into a right relationship with the body, I believe they're all part of the same procedure. The work of Christ as the great physician in both judgment of sin and salvation of sinners is to accomplish this image that Paul is depicting. The anger of God, in this sense, is not over and against the love of God. The love of God, it accomplishes the same work. The destruction of evil and sin, the anger of God, accomplishes the same thing as the love of God. So too, justice, kindness, and mercy are not promoted by someone suffering. Why do people suffer? Well, you can say because they're sick. It may be that the cure will involve suffering. If a doctor said, well, I sure enjoy seeing you suffer and part of my payment is I'm going to make you suffer some more, you should probably go find another doctor. And so too, if that is your image of God, you should probably get a different image of God. That's not who God is. A doctor who delighted in making his patients suffer is a sadist. And I presume God is better than a sadistic human being. There is often a sadistic image of God that's promoted by many Christians, I think because they're picturing the problem and solution in ways that are not worthy of God. God is thought only to forgive sin when the just requirements of the law are met. But that is not forgiveness, that's legalism. The whole point of the resolution to the problem of sin is not a resolution to some problem in the mind of God. So if salvation is a, a body united and sin is what disunites, separates, and alienates, I believe we can picture this as the whole movement of what's taking place in the New Testament. The original sin, of course, was to turn to a lie, a turn from relationship to God, which could be equated with life. The tree of life, the relationship to God, and of course life could be equated with doing life together. Not only with God, but in the original pair, with one another. The man can get life 
the serpent promises, and knowledge apart from God, and he really doesn't need God or that pesky woman either, and vice versa, in the lie of sin. So the grab for honor, the grab for power, knowing good and evil, being like God's, the grab is for independence of doing life together. You don't need God, you won't die. And so sin is interwoven with death and it is always a violence against life together. It's always a sin against the body. And I think that's what Paul's describing. Sin is death because it's a turning away from life together and life together is the only kind of life there is. Alienated life, separated life, violent life, death-dealing life, cancerous life is not life at all. And so Christ defeats that alienated life, that living death, by bringing the Holy Spirit, which binds us together, that's the picture here, in a singular body. We're baptized into the Spirit. So that, you know, what is the gift of the Holy Spirit? It's always the same gift, life. The Holy Spirit is life. And so we're baptized into the Spirit and death is defeated. Paul says we are made to drink from one Spirit so that we are made full. No one is left hungry. No one is left half empty. We're all filled up through the body. And he's going to go on and describe the gifts of the Spirit as gifts that we receive through one another. So the Spirit is not bottled separately so that we can have the Spirit apart from being in community. And we're always given gifts of the Spirit for one another. So how does the Spirit indwell us? You know, is it here, this gaseous place next to my heart? No. What Paul is picturing, the Spirit inhabits us as a community. I don't believe there's any private gift of the Holy Spirit. The entire point of exercising a gift is for the community. And there is no such thing as exercising a gift privately or apart from the community. You want God's grace? It's going to come to you through the gifts of the body channeled through other parts of that community. And so the whole point of grace, of gifts, plural, is the singular indwelling life gift that we have binding us together. Let me state it strongly that God does not care about individual souls drifting in isolated units up to heaven. Nor does God care about torturing individual souls forever and ever so that he might delight and find satisfaction in their suffering. The entire problem of sin is that we are cut off from God and others and the whole point of salvation is to bring about incorporation into the body of Christ. Let me conclude just to restate it. Sin then is discord, disharmony, sickness. It is the cancer to be rooted out. And I believe it rules out predominant notions of salvation, which are always focused on salvation from the effects of sin rather than sin itself. The prevailing understanding of punishment, wrath, suffering, damnation. Our root problem is sin itself, and yet 
the picture of salvation is that sin has caused a series of unfortunate events. You know, God's honor is impugned, the wrath of God is unleashed, the law is broken, there's the prospect of hell, there's the prospect of suffering. All of those are results of the root problem. And it's the root problem toward which salvation is directed. And so salvation is not focused on those symptoms. Once you've said that, You've understood that Christ truly is a great physician, the good physician, and he's bringing healing. Then you can understand the gift of the Spirit is this healing, is this life, shared life, aimed at promoting a communal reality. And so God's grace is channeled to us together, corporately. Now that's not to say that you won't benefit individually, that you don't have a private life, but doing life together gives you a wealth of private life that you cannot otherwise have. And so the entire problem of sin is that we are cut off from God and others, and the whole point of salvation is to bring about incorporation into the body of Christ. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have been moved by this podcast, please remember to share on social media. If you would like to know more about Forging Plowshares, would like to contact us with questions, want to ask about how you can get involved, or for more information about how you can support this ministry, please go to our website at forgingplowshares.org.